0: Hi, I'm Mike Reese, and this is What Am I Doing Here, the only podcast where you don't hear a dog barking in the background. Bhutan is guided by a simple philosophy, gross national happiness. It's one of those great tourist slogans like, Virginia is for lovers. It's not. Or, Molokai is for lepers. It was... Gross national happiness is one of the most compelling three-word phrases since love thy neighbor or where's the beef. I'd always assume some ad agency came up with it over endless cans of coke, and late night lines of coke but no the phrase just spilled from the lips of the fourth king of bhutan during a 1972 interview and it does suit this tiny sliver of a country wedged between china and india our driver explained we are stuck between two superpowers each with a billion people and nuclear weapons We have to be nice to everybody. Our driver, by the way, was also the physician to the royal family and a past candidate for president of Bhutan. It's a small country and a delightfully odd one. They do everything a little differently. Their national costume for men is a plaid bathrobe, black ankle socks, and loafers. Everyone looks like a 60s dad who ran out of his lawn at 3 a.m. to check for burglars. Their national dish is melted cheese with spicy hot pepper. It's nachos, but without the chips. It's also the world's first smoke-free country. Seriously, if you want a cigarette, you have to step outside to Bangladesh to smoke it. The Bhutanese even have their own way of bathing. You lie naked in what is basically a horse trough full of water. Then they add hot rocks at one end of the tub to heat it. Want a warmer bath? Add more rocks. Want it colder? Too bad, it only gets hotter. It's very low-tech and extremely soothing. And now, a digression on baths around the world. One of the great adventures in traveling is to try the local bath. In Turkey, I had a Turkish bath. You go from a hot sauna to a cold pool to a warm bath and repeat. Then you get rubbed down with warm oil, which they scrape off with a dull razor. It was very relaxing, except when I'd look across the room and see two burly Turks rubbing down my naked wife. When it's over, you actually feel both brand new, but also like a part of history. This is exactly the kind of bath that the ancient Romans took. The same one my Jewish ancestors took in the Turkish baths of Brooklyn. How can you not love an experience shared by Julius Caesar and Sid Caesar? And counting New York's gay baths, Cesar Romero. Yes, I just outed Cesar Romero. I never felt cleaner after my Turkish bath, and I never felt dirtier than splashing around in a Colombian mud volcano. It was warm and gooey and fun. This is the rare bath where you are filthier coming out than going in. It's a bath you need a bath after. And at the Pilsner Urkel Brewery in the Czech Republic, I took a beer bath. I sat in a wooden tub soaking in unfermented ale with hops and barley floating around me. I asked the tour guide if there was some health benefit to all He said, nah, it's just something for tourists. Bhutan has truly achieved gross national happiness. The people are always smiling, and so are the dogs. As Mahatma Gandhi said, The greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. And the dogs of Bhutan are treated very well. No one owns them, they just roam from house to house, knowing they'll get food and a warm place to sleep. They're fat and happy, and they do something I've never seen other dogs do. They sit on the edge of the road, stare out at the vast Himalayan, landscape and they smile they count their blessings life is good it's truly a fairy tale kingdom and it's ruled by a real-life prince charming they call him king jimmy he's an oxford graduate and an international heartthrob he's drop-dead gorgeous and he married a beautiful commoner a real-life cinderella The most famous buildings in the country, the one you see in all the travel posters, are a complex of monasteries called the Tiger's Nest. It was built in 1692, half a mile straight up right into the side of the mountains. As one poet put it, The buildings cling to the mountain like a gecko. Poets love gassing about the place. They named a ravine the Copper-Colored Mountains of Paradise. They called a plateau the Path of a Hundred Thousand Fairies. Really? 100,000? I counted maybe 80,000 fairies tops. Whatever they call it, it's a brutal three hour hike to get to the tiger's nest, and it's all the tourists talk about. Did you do it? I didn't do it. I don't know if I can do it. Should I do it? You do it and tell me if I can do it. Folks, you can do it. It's like the 17th century monks said, Let's build something that chubby Americans can get to, Oh, but just barely. Let's ruin their vacation. I did it, and I'm 60 years old and largely made of dough. It was a tough climb, but worth it for the awe-inspiring temples, the breathtaking views, and that smug sense of pointless accomplishment. You can do it. I did it, so you can do it. So just do it. Did you do it yet? I did. I loved everything about Bhutan except its main eco-tourist attraction, the Black necked Crane. Our driver kept talking about it and we were intrigued because we thought he was saying the Buck Naked Crane. Every year countless cranes migrate from southern Tibet to a remote Bhutan valley. Well they say they're countless but you can count them, there's only about 200 of them. And their migration is only 66 miles. In Los Angeles that's called a commute and the government keeps visitors a mile away from them they're invisible to the naked eye but through powerful binoculars they look like table salt spilled on a pool table there's a six mile path around their nesting place but it's a bullshit hike and i mean that literally it's grazing land for cattle so you are walking through six miles of bullshit. what was i doing here i came to bhutan to see my friend eames demetrios and now a digression on eames demetrios Jesus, another digression. Alright. Eames Demetrios is the grandson of famed designer Charles Eames. His other grandfather is a sculptor, and his father is a sculptor too. Most impressive to me, his grandmother wrote and illustrated the kid's book, Mike Mulligan and his Steam Shovel. Eames is an artist too. What choice did he have? If he'd become a heart surgeon, it would have brought shame to the family. Eames works in conceptual art. He travels the world installing historical monuments to events that never happened. They have an otherworldly look and recount a detailed history of the a race of people i'm pretty sure he made up eames has a secret dream someday after a nuclear holocaust future archaeologists will find my monuments and take them to be the true history of life on earth we traveled with eames across bhutan looking for the perfect spot to erect one of his phony baloney monuments and he found it a rock outcrop jutting from a hill on a Bhutanese farm. He marched into the Tumbledown farmhouse on a mission to explain to these peasant farmers what conceptual art was, what his project was, and why they should let a perfect stranger build something weird on their property. Oh, and he didn't speak Bhutanese, and they didn't speak English. Five minutes later, he emerged from the farmhouse. Done and done. He actually got this thing built. You can see pictures of it if you Google Kikes Marathai. Bhutan. That's Kyxmarathai. K K C Y M A. You're not going to Google it. This is all cool stuff, I hope, but none of it explains why I consider Bhutan one of the weirdest spots on Earth. This country makes the list because of all its penises. There are giant throbbing erections everywhere you look. They're painted all over people's homes in candy-colored pinks and yellows. They're three, four, five feet long, and there's nothing stylized about them. These dongs have veins. They've got balls. It makes you wonder: How do you vandalize a house that already has penises painted all over it. Don't believe me? Google it. This I bet you will Google. There are dongs hanging from the rooftops painted on street signs. There are whole gift shops selling nothing but souvenir wieners. It reminds me of a great joke from the 1950s. A playboy has lured a co-ed back to his bachelor pad. She picks up a sculpture and says, what is this? He says, it's a phallic symbol. She says, Wow, I don't want to tell you what it looks like. The man behind Bhutan's obsession with dangling dingles is their spiritual leader, Drupka Kunli. He was a 15th century monk who fired an arrow from Tibet, vowing to preach wherever it landed. And it came to rest in Bhutan. He was a literal saint, but he was no saint. He drank, he philandered, he told dirty jokes and preached boozy sermons. They called him the divine madman. He was the perfect combination of... Gautama Buddha, and Gary Busey. How can you not love a country that picks that for their religious leader? Oh no, there's that music again. And now a final digression on fact-checking. Full disclosure, I opened this podcast with well-known quotes from the 4th King of Bhutan and Mahatma Gandhi. You can find both of them all over the internet. But in-depth research reveals that both quotes are bogus. They never said them. And that Tiger's Nest Monastery, yes it was built in 1692, but it burned down so the one you actually see was constructed in 1998. Also, tigers don't build nests. And Drupka Kunli couldn't possibly have shot an arrow from Tibet to Bhutan. That's 200 miles. Even if it landed there, how would he have found it? I've learned my lesson. In the future, I will no longer do in-depth research. Even if Bhutan is too intense for you, why not take a relaxing trip to Laos? I'll tell you why not. It's a 22-hour flight. Asia's big, dude. It's the biggest thing in the world. Still, I recommend Laos. You may know it as the country we bombed the crap out of for no apparent reason. We dropped as many bombs on this tiny country during the Vietnam War as we did on all of Europe and Asia during World War II. There are bars and restaurants in Laos decorated with unexploded munitions. And you thought eating a Chipotle was risky. Although we dropped nearly a ton of bombs for every person in Laos, it's the most laid-back country on earth. If you walk into any shop, there's a good chance the owner is behind the counter, laying in a hammock, sleeping like a baby. I was always torn. Should I wake him up and make a purchase, or let him snooze? Generally, i take what I needed, leave my money on the counter, and tiptoe out. A major recreation in Laos is inner tubing on a river, a sport so mellow you could win a race in a coma. This was truly Prozac Nation. There was only one stressed out person in the country, our tour guide. His name was Bam, but for some reason my wife kept calling him Boo. One day he brought us to breakfast and told us he would pay for it. My wife said, What can we order? Anything you want, said Bam. Thank you, Boo, said my wife. After Bam left, my wife proceeded to order two omelets, fruit, sausage, bacon, three kinds of juice, and dry wheat toast. I ordered a cheese omelet. That's all? Boo said you could have anything. I think he meant any one thing on the menu, not every single thing produced in Laos. Well, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. For the only time I can recall in our marriage, I was right. When our tour guide came back and saw the bill for breakfast, he exploded. Bam went boom. He screamed, he turned purple, and I swear I saw steam shoot out of his ears. Finally, I told him, Don't worry, Bam. I'll pay the bill. It was only eight bucks. Nice country. What Am I Doing Here is written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo, featuring Denise Reese as herself, additional voices by Michael Yishow and Trevor Morris, Mike's funny doorman.